1: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. We are on Season 2, Episode 1, the Season 2 premiere of The Pop Punk Project. As you all know,
2: I am Keenan. What's up, players? My name's Mike. We've missed you. Yeah, it's been a long break, Mike. Every day we wake up, we think about you, we think about the fans, you know. Getting back to the posse. Yeah, but honestly, we just needed some time for ourselves, and... Everybody's going to think that we're like damaged,
1: like <laughs> like season one put us in like a deep, dark depression or something.
2: <laughs> we just needed some time off to listen to music that wasn't pop punk. Yeah, a lot of country, a lot of hip hop. We had the Christmas music in there too, so. That's true, we did. We just needed a hard reset so we could, you know, really clear up the old uh, brain and get ready for a brand new season of fantastic albums. So what do you listen to this week, Mike? For our Season 2 premiere, Keenan, we thought, what better way to start off? What a more exciting and incredible way to start off Season 2 than with Fall Out Boy's album, From Under the Cork Tree. Huge. One of the best pop-punk albums of all time. It's one of my favorites. I can't wait to discuss it with you. No more delay, Mike. Let's stage dive in. From Under the Cork Tree is the second studio album by Fall Out Boy. It was released on May 3rd, 2005, produced by Neil Avron and released through Island Records. Their major label debut. And it was the same lineup as their first album, Take This to Your Grave,
1: unchanged throughout their entire career, Patrick, Pete, Joe, and Andy,
2: who we know very well. We love those guys. Love them. And they love us back. What's up, guys? For this album, the music was composed by singer and guitarist Patrick Stump, while all lyrics were penned by bassist Pete Wentz. A little bit of a change-up from their previous recording.
1: Yeah, because didn't they sort of split time writing songs in the first album? That was what was so interesting about it was they
2: each took a hand in it, which they had not done before. Right. From this point forward, that's how... They would write the songs, Patrick would do all the music, and Pete would do all the lyrics. So I guess they kind of found a formula that they were pleased with. I guess Patrick's
1: lyrics weren't cutting it. It's a bummer. Yeah.
2: Sorry, Pat. Sorry,
1: Sorry, buddy. In support of release of this album, they went on headline tours worldwide and played various music festivals. The Black Clouds and Underdogs tour featured opening performances by The Hush Sound, October Fall, From First to Last,
2: Hawthorne Heights, and The All-American Rejects. Sounds like a pretty good lineup. I'd go see that, yeah. I think that was our freshman year of high school, because I remember a lot of people going to see Fall Out Boy and All-American Rejects, so it must have been on that tour. That's right. That was a huge one. The album was Fall Out Boy's breakthrough mainstream success. It debuted at number nine on the U.S. Billboard 200 with 168,000 sales in its first week. Whoa. Pretty crazy. (laughs) It earned the band their first top 10 album and has been their longest charting and best selling album to date. I'm not surprised by that. Me neither. It's been certified double platinum selling over
1: 2 million copies in the US and over 4 million worldwide. Massive.
2: Way to go, guys. Proud of you, as always. With an album like this, it was so monumental at the time. And I read recently, every time they put out a new popular song, this album enters the charts again. I guess people hear the new Fall Out Boy and they're like, oh, remember that? They're probably like, oh, wow, this is garbage. I wanna go listen to Good <laughs> Fall <follow-up> Out Boy now. <laughs> oh, same
0: uh,
1: just kidding. Come on. We're joking, guys. We're kidding. Relax. So, May 2005, I remember that being a pretty good month and a pretty great
2: year. What in the world's going on, Mike? There's a lot of stuff going on, Keenan. Like what? <laughs> well, for one, on May 15th, do you know what was released? According to my notes, it says <laughs> Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. That's right. <laughs> it was Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Ah, the prequel series, Mike. Everybody's favorite. That's right. Depending on who you ask, the prequels are better than the most recent uh, threequel. So. Really? People have said that? My Yeah, Steve, Steve is adamant about that. Steve Montgomery or Steve Wood? Steve Montgomery. He hates the Disney
1: Star Wars. Really? Yeah. Wow, I find that very surprising. I don't hate the prequel series, but the most recent three I think are very good.
2: I don't hate the prequels, but I also haven't watched them since I was 10. True, And yeah. when I saw them when I was like, whatever, <laughs> 10, 12, and 14, they were incredible. So I'm just maintaining that idea.
1: I will say that episode one, was just randomly on TV like a year ago, and I sat down and watched it one random Friday night. It's pretty bad. Oh, man. The CGI is
2: not what you remember. I think part of the reason why George Lucas wanted to wait to do the prequels was because he expected technology to advance to be able to create cooler atmospheres. It didn't come far enough. He (laughs) used all of those advancements to create Jar Jar Binks.
1: Yeah, which is still one of my favorite characters of all time.
2: Not just in Star Wars, but in any movie franchise. We've worked pretty thoroughly on a lot of Jar Jar Binks fan fiction that... That's true. ...we're hoping to get out there at some point. Should we release that on our Patreon? Yeah. Okay, cool.
0: We said Jar Jar Binks! <laughs> <laughs> uh.
2: <laughs> Do you ever look at the their subreddit prequel memes? It, like, pops up randomly, yeah. There's some good ones. May 21st.
1: Kingda Ka opens at Six Flags Great Adventure, becoming the tallest and fastest roller coaster in the world. It's still the world's tallest to this day, but with a top speed of 149 miles per hour, Formula Rasa in Abu Dhabi has been the world's fastest since it opened in 2010. Have you been on Kingda Ka? I have. Have you? I don't think so. I think I was too scared when I went. (laughs)
2: Loser. Yeah. When did you go? Uh, I don't think I went, actually. I don't think I've ever been to Six Flags. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you were so scared you didn't go. Yeah. I just heard about this tall, fast coaster, and I was like, I'm not going to go. We went over the summer in, I think, 2014 or 2015. Our friend Gabrielle worked there for the summer, and she had already ridden it because she she worked there, and it was like they just rode the ride sometimes. Yeah. But nobody wanted to go on this besides Steve and I. So we went on it and it was it was pretty fun. It's really short, right? Like it just goes straight up over and then back down. Exactly. That's the thing. Yeah. It's like it's so it's so short and so fast that you're like, whoa, but it is a pretty weird experience when you're on it. They also built a drop in the the tower, like in the hill of King Daka, which we went on as well. And that was actually scarier than King De Ka. It's just like a dropping ride. Mm-hmm but you slowly lift up and that's when you really have the time to think about how high you are and you're just kind of dangling there. I did not really like that. (laughs) (laughs) I do think those rides at like a Six Flags or Dorney Park
1: are slightly less scary, even though they're really intense and really fast, less scary than the crappy ones you get at like the local carnivals, because
2: I feel like those can fall apart at any second. Oh yeah, those are terrifying. Just the rattling cage. Those could result in casualties. Yeah. I do love risking my life on those things though. (laughs) May 25th, Carrie Underwood wins the fourth season of American Idol, beating out runner-up Bo Bice. I remember Bo Bice. He's a rocker, dude. Yeah, he was great. Long hair. Did he have a beard? No. I think he had enough hair to make you believe he had a beard yeah he had a good look though we'll probably get to a Bow Bice album at some point I really hope so I
1: was just gonna ask you does he have any famous songs did he make anything after American Idol I couldn't tell you we're gonna have to look that up I'm very intrigued
2: American Idol comes up a lot. We've discussed Daughtry in the past with Mark Wilkerson. That's right. Yeah. It's just crazy because it was such a phenomenon
1: back then. Like every year the winner or the runner up became some all star
2: celebrity. Underwood really set the bar because she's been the most successful idol winner to date. She's sold millions and millions and millions of albums, so is she
1: more successful than Kelly Clarkson?
2: Absolutely. Okay. They're definitely one and two, but I think Yeah. If you think of country music, she's probably the top star, or at least top three. It's probably Carrie Underwood, Kelly Clarkson, Bo Bice in that order. I think <laughs> yes. Bo Bice is like a close third. Big rube. Yeah. There's fans out there that are just checking Bo Bice's website to see when he's touring.
1: Oh, I'm sure, yeah. He has fans. He has a fan base somewhere. You're looking at it, actually. Number one fan. <laughs> I want to make that t-shirt and wear it
2: yeah. or make it realistic like top 25 fan
1: <laughs> all 25 of us out there on May 27th DreamWorks computer animated film Madagascar with voices by Ben Stiller Chris Rock David Schwimmer and Jada Pinkett Smith is
2: released is that one of your favorites does that crack your top five DreamWorks um I, yeah I like it I don't know about top five when you have Shrek 1, Shrek 2, Shrek the 3rd, Shrek 4, and Puss in Boots. But... <laughs> that's right. We do know that you love the Shreks. <laughs> but, you know, they escape from the Central Park Zoo, right? And try to go back to Madagascar. I believe so, yeah. Something like that. I, I believe know, that's the yeah. stupid plot line. <laughs> Probably like the plot, yeah. <laughs> the big takeaway from that movie was, was, is it lemurs? They do the I like to move it, move it dance.
1: Yeah. That was
2: pretty popular for a while.
1: Yeah, that was. Did that go viral? That probably went viral. I like
2: to move it, move it. I like to move it. Yeah,
1: Something we're going to have to share in
2: the show notes. And finally, Keenan, on May 31st, Mark Felt, former high-ranking official in the FBI, was revealed as Deep Throat, the source during the Watergate investigation.
1: I actually remember when that happened. I remember them showing him on TV. He was very old at that time. I think he revealed himself because he knew that He was getting close to death, and he was like, eh, might as well.
2: Every once in a while you hear about that, like some secret or... There was a documentary about D.B. Cooper, that guy that jumped out of an airplane and was never seen again. Yeah, I remember that. And multiple people have revealed that they are him.
1: Wait, who's the guy from The Room?
2: Oh, Tommy Wiseau. Yeah, don't don't people think that Tommy Wiseau is that guy? He could be. (laughs) Oh, hi, Mark. Yeah, because they
1: describe him as like... Uh, like a, a strange guy with long hair who had a bizarre accent that nobody could place. Isn't that just essentially Tommy Wiseau? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he
2: was alive back then, though. What what know. year was that? I think he was in the 70s, 60s or 70s. Dude, isn't Tommy Wiseau like, like very old? Isn't he like 60?
1: It's really hard to tell because he just wears sunglasses. Nobody knows how old he is. Nobody knows
2: where he's from. I think he's the guy that jumped out of the plane. I love Tommy Wiseau. Yeah, I know you do. Shane and I and I guess we include you, but we had some good conversations about Tommy Wiseau. That's right. He's has great deals on his website. We'll throw a link to it in the show notes, but <laughs> sure, let's give Tommy Wiseau some press here. He just sells like <laughs> like Joe Boxer boxers, but instead of Joe Boxer it just says Tommy Wiseau on really? the on the waistband. Yeah. I'd buy those. There's jackets, there's jeans. I look every once in a while because at some point, I'm going to feel stupid enough to just buy a Tommy Wiseau article of clothing. Yeah. But. I'd be supportive of that. It's all dirt cheap. It's it's incredible. It, it has to be. It's like the kind of stuff you would buy, like, outside the stadiums, but just mm. sold on a website.
1: <laughs> I like that. I like what he's doing.
2: I like how. What are we?
1: Oh, yeah. We were talking about Deep Throat, but, <laughs> uh, you know.
2: <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah, so. He was the guy in the parking garage giving intel to, uh, you know, the guys.
1: That's right. Yeah. One of the biggest political dramas of our era, (laughs) our era, our parents'
2: era. (laughs) (laughs) And Deep Throat was, that was like a common adult film at the time, right? That's where that name was derived from. Don't you think that's odd for like a cultural reference?
1: Yeah, I didn't even realize that was the reference.
2: We learned about it in high school, but it was like, why would, who was the first person to write, let's call it this porno? I don't know. Very bizarre. And then everybody was like, okay, yeah, that's what it's going to be called for literally ever. Sure, why not?
1: Just a bunch of perverts out there. Yeah. Ugh. Disgust me. Mike, your favorite sub segment of the Pop Punk Project, Celebrity Weddings. I do love this sub segment. (laughs) A segment within a segment. (laughs) On May 9th, Oscar winning actress Renee Zellweger weds country music heartthrob singer Kenny Chesney which was (laughs) annulled four months later
2: (laughs) they gave it a good try
1: yeah four months is that's, that's a good effort I wonder if they were engaged or if they just got married that seems like one of those things where they meet at some celebrity function fall in love quote unquote and then Are married within a couple weeks.
2: Yeah, because when it's annulled after four months, like you got to think you had a couple months to really figure it out before getting married. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally.
1: And then on May tenth, Mike, actress and model Heidi Klum weds British soul and R and B singer songwriter Seal. She was thirty nine and he was forty nine at the time. I didn't realize they were both so old.
2: Yeah, Heidi Klum. It feels like looks the same as she did in two thousand five.
1: Yeah sure it has nothing to do with all the work she has
2: done. No, it's all natural.
1: Yeah, that's she, right.
2: She puts in a lot of hard work, uh exfoliates, things of that nature.
1: Yeah. Gets a good night's sleep, beauty sleep. But they were divorced in 2014, so It's just sad, Mike. It, it's a pretty good run. That's a that's almost a decade. It's a good run, but one of these days we're going to find a couple that's you know, still together, still happily married and in it for the long haul.
2: We'll get to this later on in the episode, but there's a couple that might have met during the making of this album that's still together. Whoa. Is that a nice tease? Very good tease. I'm excited for that. You, you probably won't care about either members of this uh, marriage, but they're still together.
1: <laughs> Great. That's all I want, Mike, for my celebrity marriages. I just want them together. I lessen the tease a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. So some general themes of this album, Mike. Pete Wentz, when interviewed, once commented that, the lyrics were about the anxiety and depression that goes along with looking at your own life. So when I was re-listening to this album and reading the lyrics, it was very clear that it was extremely self-reflective. I think both from a personal standpoint, the guys in the band, in particular Pete Wentz looking at his own life and his own relationships and his own mental health, but also as a band really looking at how far they've come as a group, how successful they've been and kind of speculating on their future success, their current and future success.
2: You can definitely tell that it was only a few years between this album and their first album, but they pointed out in a couple different interviews that, and we found this with a couple different bands, but those songs on their first album, they had been writing for most of their lives, and this was the first time they really had a period of time to sit down and look at where they were and how they were feeling at that point in their lives. It wasn't like, Let's rehash these songs we wrote in high school or whatever and put out an album. Right. They had already kind of proven themselves and, you know, they had this major label backing them. So a lot of it was there was some pressure on them to try to recreate or equal their their first release. And a couple different places I saw, they, they were mostly just trying to make an album that they felt content with. Yeah, you're totally right. And it does feel like it's a snapshot in time.
1: Like they probably looked back to this album. They probably listened to it today and think that was a pretty defining time in our own lives, and our own careers. And it does feel like a snapshot in time. I remember when Kev Mehta came on, he was talking about the Blink album, their untitled or self-titled album being a snapshot in time. Like You knew exactly what they were going through when that album was made. I feel like this is much of the same. Definitely.
2: Especially for Pete, who, who wrote most of the lyrics or all the lyrics. Like a lot of these songs get into some personal things, so
1: and one other fun thing about this album is they definitely continue on with the pop culture and in particular the movie references. We see it in the titles of the songs. We see it sometimes in the lyrics. That's something that they just kind of love to do and
2: they did in their first album. Definitely makes for some very long titles, which we've seen on a couple different albums, but they're definitely more known for it. It's all in good fun. it's all it's yeah. all in good fun. yeah, we're having fun. Speaking of titles, Keenan, see what I did there? What a segue, Mike. The title of the album, From Under the Cork Tree, is actually a line from the 1936 children's book, The Story of Ferdinand, by Monroe Leaf. Monroe? Sure. Wentz was intrigued by this story. It focuses on a bull named Ferdinand who would rather sniff flowers under a cork tree than participate in fights. Sounds like a, a real loser. <laughs> <laughs> uh Yeah. And the album cover.
1: <laughs> I love fighting, so that's that's not what I would be doing. I'd definitely be fighting.
2: I would also love to be fighting.
1: Yeah. I don't care about flowers under a cork tree, that's for
2: sure. Ugh. But, and the album cover. <laughs> Actually, I, I, Ferdinand's School. Sorry, Ferdinand. Yeah, sorry, Ferdinand. Uh, and the cover itself features a van and a trailer uh, crashed into a slump of snow. I didn't realize this before doing a little bit of digging but this actually happened to the band they were in an accident on their way to new york city to film the music video for grand theft autumn and their their truck and trailer crashed so
1: wow i didn't know that so that depicts that scene yeah oh well, that's kind of cool
2: i guess their uh their memory of it so <laughs> they, they want to look back on that fondly i guess <laughs> <laughs> when they crashed their car well you know these guys are so like they're so they're a little sick and twisted. It's yeah, like, they
1: are, dude. <laughs> they're freaking edgy, bro. <laughs> remember
2: when we crashed? Like, of course that would have happened to us. Bro, that was so punk rock. <laughs> uh, I'm guessing it, if it was snow, it's probably just like icy roads. That's true. Just ice. slipped off the road. No biggie. Yeah. So what do you remember
1: from this album? This was definitely, for me at least, and I would imagine for you, another Gwena Mercy camp album. I think everybody... At camp during those years was listening to this. I think that's kind of how I was introduced to it.
2: Yeah. I can say I can say the same thing over here, Keenan. Got to give a shout out again to Alex Taratusky. She burned me this album Summer of 2005. It came out in May. I probably first listened to it in June. Prior to that, I had I think Sugar we're going down was pretty much all over the place. So, yeah. I had heard that and seen the music video and remembered these girls at camp talking about this band, which I had always dismissed. And, you know, she's like, just listen to it. And it went on to become one of my favorite albums. So yeah, I'm glad I gave it a chance. And it holds up. It really does. Yeah. And you're right. Fall Out Boy was all over the radio at that time.
1: They were all over MTV. I remember specifically watching the music video for Sugar We're Going Down on MTV2. It was on MTV2 all the time, mm-hmm. if you remember that. And so I remember... Seeing it and seeing the music video, which we'll talk about later and being like, whoa, these guys are really weird and different. And then, of course, everybody at camp listening to it. And I was like, oh, wow, this they have a whole album that's also pretty cool and different. And so, yeah, I, I totally remember that as well. That was our
2: CIT summer.
1: It was our CIT summer. Counselor in training when they got free labor from us. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, what a scam that was. We really didn't get any sort of. Didn't We still had to pay, right? It wasn't even like we weren't paid. It was like our parents still paid for us to not be home all day. I think it was like... A, it was like half price or something like it that. It was
1: like a big discount, yeah. We were essentially just counselors right? who were unpaid, <laughs> yeah, right. with the hopes of getting hired the following year, which I did not.
2: Yeah, that sucks for you, because I actually did get hired. I know, yeah. Was, yeah. It's kind of crazy, because there was like 50 of us, and I think only... 5 or 6 got hired. Yeah. They should have charged way more for us to be there because there was just we were like a, a swarm of mosquitoes. We just kind of were, were always congregating and not really causing havoc, just kind of being in the way. Yeah. So, I remember a couple times we got in trouble just for, yeah. you know, being mischievous. Classic kids get in trouble. But that was a that was a great group of of people. Track number 1.
1: Our lawyer made us change the name of this song so we wouldn't get sued. It's quite
2: the way to start, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> like we said, Keenan, some of these titles are pretty crazy. Ooh, <laughs> crazy. And this one's no different.
0: Cause We are bad now, we will leave you high and joy. It's not worth the work the healing you lose is just a yeah, and I'm feeling young and reckless. The river on my wrist says do not open before Christmas.
2: It's a nice upbeat lead-off track. There it is. I missed that, Mike. I was thinking about it and I was I was
1: missing it a little bit myself. Well, it is an upbeat leadoff track, but it also starts kind of heavy, doesn't it? It's a heavier sounding beginning to the album. And I think it does kind of pick up where the first album left off. If you remember the last track of their first album, The Patron Saints of Liars and Fakes, we discovered that it was a much heavier sound than the rest of the album because that's where they thought their sound was going. And they thought that their second album was going to sound that way. So... I think this was them trying to be that heavier
2: band. Yeah, I can definitely see that. It's a heavier intro, but I don't know. I don't think they really kept that pace. There's only a couple songs that, in my opinion, turn out being of the heavier variety. No, I totally agree. I did find it interesting, relating back to their last album, the first track on Take This to Your Grave, Tell That Mickey Just Made My List of Things to Do Today, started off with a sound effect of a a ringtone, like a dial tone off the hook. Right. This song also starts off with the sound effect of cameras clicking and flashing. So I thought that was kind of interesting.
1: Yeah. And I think the reason they did that, and it also echoes in the theme of the song, it's very self-reflective them recognizing that they're in the limelight and that the media is watching them. And I think a lot of the theme of the song is them kind of poking fun at fame and media and celebrity.
2: Yeah, I think we touched on that in one or two of Panic! at the Disco's songs. There's a couple others that come to mind. I know Weezer, Beverly Hills, they make a camera clicking sound in jest. Uh, And this is something that I never really thought when I was listening to it. At a younger age, I think there's kind of like a double meaning between some of these lyrics. So can you give me a minute to run through this? Please go ahead. So it starts off, brothers and sisters, put this record down. Take my advice because we are bad news. We will leave you high and dry. It's not worth the hearing. You'll lose. So when I was younger, I thought this was like related to a courtroom or like a legal proceeding Mm -hmm. based on the title. It alludes to a lawsuit if they don't change the title of the song. But re-listening to it, I'm like, oh, it's pretty evident that they're referring to themselves. They want their fans to put this record down. You know, you're going to listen to it, experience hearing loss, and in the long run, it's not going to be worth it. So they're kind of poking fun at themselves, saying, you know, we put this album together, but really, it's not worth listening to. So I thought that was kind of cool. And I never really caught that a long time ago. Yeah, that is kind of interesting. The title isn't lying. They actually did change the title of the songs so that they wouldn't get sued
1: yeah I saw that the original title was my name is David Ruffin and these are the temptations and it was a reference to David Ruffin who was in the temptations trying to change the name of
2: the group right yeah he wanted to make it more like Diana Ross and the Supremes he wanted to make it David Ruffin and the temptations and the group actually ended up forcing him out of the group and went on to continue to have success without him so I think that was the band kind of saying to themselves, no one of us is bigger than Fallout Boy. We're not going to let our heads get swelled up by whatever fame we achieve with this album. We're still just your almost famous friends that have such good fashion sense.
1: Right, yeah. And they talk about being only good for the latest trends. We're liars, but we're the best. It's all about having this sort of big head when you're famous. And I think it's obviously making fun of that sentiment that mentality and they're saying that they're not going to be that type of band i think
2: they don't want to be a trend they just want to be themselves right exactly
1: i think the original title they were going to use before they changed it actually captures
2: what this song is meant to be about it does it's one of abby's favorite pop punk songs by the way i do need to mention that shout out to abby who's totally going to listen to this episode she said she might all right cool that's great yeah that's a step up I think this song, it's a good start to the album. I don't know in terms of the rest of the album how it holds. Like, you know, it's It's in the middle of the road for me in terms of how I like the song. But I do love the drums and the change of pace before the final chorus. You know what I'm yeah. talking about? Oh, yeah. It's awesome. That gets me pumped up for what's to come
1: yeah i'm with you track number two of all the gin joints in all the world do you know that reference mike and she had to walk into mine there you go is that it that's it from casablanca <laughs>
2: Humphrey Bogart, Heather Bergman. Heather Bergman? <laughs> Is that I think right? it's Ingrid Bergman. Ingrid, <laughs> That was good. You, you tried. Humphrey Bogart and the female lead, Ingrid Bergman. <laughs> so Casablanca, Mike, I saw it a long time ago.
1: I haven't seen it recently, but I do remember the basic premise. So this quote comes from the part in the movie, Mike, where... Rick is in his bar and Elsa walks in for the first time and he sees her after they had this breakup and falling out and he flew all the way to Casablanca to get away from her. That's where this is taken from. And I think the song is fairly reflective of that. I think the theme is the lead singer thinking back to a relationship and longing for that really awesome relationship,
2: the perfect relationship of this person's life. I agree with you that It's describing the ideal or perfect relationship. In my reading of it, I think they're saying that the beginning phases of relationship is like the honeymoon period. Yeah. And that's the part that you reflect on and you always think like, man, times were so good. But there's that line in the song, you only hold me up like this because you don't know who I really am. Mm -hmm. And things are great when you're first dating or meeting each other and really getting to know each other. But then... As time goes on, you start picking out things you don't really like about the other person. And for whatever reason, sometimes relationships fall apart.
1: Yeah. And I think that relates to Casablanca because they had this perfect relationship when they were in Paris. Everything was perfect. They were in love with each other. And then all of a sudden it goes south and Rick literally flies halfway across the world to get away from this person. But the entire time he's thinking about her and all of a sudden she shows back up in his life and it brings back this flood of emotions and all these memories. I think Pete Wentz and the rest of the band, they're looking toward their own relationships like Rick was in that movie.
2: Yeah, no, I definitely got that same interpretation. And there are some good lines in this song. The turn off the lights and turn off the shyness, that always stuck out to me as... I love that one. Like, you know, young love and kind of first, like, are we doing this? Like, what's really going on here? (laughs) Both parties are shy and... All of our moves make up for the silence, and oh, the way your makeup stains my pillowcase, like, I'll never be the same. And I remember being 14 or 15 and thinking, like, that's love. Like, yeah, makeup. (laughs) (laughs) That, yeah, mascara. Can't wait to
1: be old when people wear makeup. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Isn't being a teenage girl, that was like a, I'm not trying to speak as uh, as though I have any knowledge on the subject, but I feel like right around the time this album came out for us, that's when girls were first learning about makeup and like, at least I remember going to school and girls started wearing makeup and I'm like, that's, huh? okay.
1: Sure. Yeah. I don't know.
2: <laughs> I don't know. That
1: sounds right. Um, but I also cannot speak to that because um, I was not a teenage girl.
2: From what I remember, I'm thinking like our sisters. Like I remember, yeah, that's probably around the time when Caitlin was, was getting makeup, yeah. and I was like, she was like learning how to apply it and stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. It's not. Re- I guess it's not really related to this song that much.
1: <laughs> no, but it was. That's probably one of the first times that we heard this like romantic
2: makeup line, and we're like, oh, like what's his, what's makeup? Yeah, it's probably right. I understand to a certain extent. You have mascara you have blush or whatever and that'll leave marks on a pillowcase but like oh the way your makeup stains is he is he smothering this girl (laughs) uh i'd like to think he's not but uh sure maybe just put a little bleach on it right
1: yeah that's all it takes this is my favorite song mike this is my favorite song of the album it more recently is my favorite song um there were others obviously that stood out to me back in the day but over the last few years when I've listened to it more and more, this one always stands out. The really catchy O-O-O's of the song.
0: Oh, 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 oh That's right. Oh, oh, oh.
1: Yeah. Exactly. I love that part. I always have to sing that part, but I do love that part. And Yeah, as a kid, it was speaking to young love and the little anxieties that goes along with young relationships and always wondering what the other person is thinking about. It just kind of captured what we were thinking back then.
2: Yeah. Summer 2005. They say the summer of 67 was a summer of love, but summer 2005 gave it a run for its money. Man, summer 05. So many
1: emotions, so many
2: hormones whipping
1: around. So little time. <laughs> Track number three Dance, Dance. How does that one start again, Mike? <laughs>
0: Says she's no good with words, but I mean worse. But stuttered out a joke of a romantic stuck to my tongue. Weighed down with words too over dramatic. Tonight it's a cat get much worse. there's no one should ever feel like I'm too cooler than a heart down. And I don't wanna forget how your voice sounds. These words are all I have to so arrive. Then see me then just
1: to get by I'll say off the bat, Mike. Love this one back in the day doesn't really do it for me anymore like it used to it doesn't hit the same way that a lot
2: of the others do i kind of felt the same way if i'm being honest i'm not entirely sure why either yeah i'm not just trying to agree with you but it doesn't hold up for me the same way that uh sugar we're going down does yeah like i've heard sugar we're going down a million times and i still when that song comes on i'm like oh nice i like this song this one i don't know if it was just that i heard it too much or i mean there are better songs on this album maybe not I mean, this was a huge single, so they obviously made a good choice in in releasing the song as their second single. Yep. Honestly, when I listen to the album now, I usually kind of listen to the first couple parts and maybe skip over it for the most part.
1: I do the same thing, and I can't really explain why. But what I will say is, when I was reading the lyrics again, I was discovering things that I have never really heard or knew before. Back in the day when I would hear this song... I would honestly just think of like middle school dances. That's what it always kind of remind me of. And the music video was essentially a homecoming dance. But when I was reading the lyrics again, it seems like they're trying to say that love is like a dance. or It's like this choreographed dance or it's like a game. There's a lot of references to like arcade games or card games in there. And so I think he's trying to say that love is kind of like this back and forth,
2: like a dance or a game would be. Did you hear that at all? Do you notice that at all? One thing I noticed, and I've always noticed this about this album, is there's a lot of lines that I never really heard the right way. Mm-hmm. And I think that was partly intentional on Patrick Stump's part. Like A lot of these lyrics, he kind of slurs or blurs into the next line. And so I really have never read through these songs. And this was one where I'm reading it and I'm like, I don't remember these being the words two quarters and a heart down like I always thought those were the words but I always thought that those were wrong because I'm like this is a stupid line yeah but you're right it's like okay so I guess it's an arcade game or a video game like you put your two quarters in and good luck to you
1: yeah I never made that connection I I thought I knew what he was saying too but I never thought it was about a video game or an
2: arcade game it is a weird back and forth and it takes two to tango as they say (laughs) they do say
1: that don't they yeah they always say that (laughs) But like I was saying before, this song still does remind me of dances. You remember dances, right, Mike? Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the ones I uh was invited to. Invited to? Yeah.
1: I'm talking like the Saint Rose of Lima dances.
2: Oh, like grade school. I thought you meant to yeah, be like 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 like, a little bit like than a little Oh, date. no, no, no.
1: Well, those two. Yeah, those two. Because the music video is, like I said, homecoming.
2: Yeah, we can get to the music video, but... I do remember those dances. It was, I didn't really like them. Like I thought I was enjoying them, (laughs) but looking back, I'm like, (laughs) they were not really that fun.
1: Well, they felt like a game. Like you showed up and you're like, oh, am I supposed to go talk to the girls? Like, who do I ask to dance? Like it felt very forced and it felt very uncomfortable. And I think that's what they're saying love is. Like it's all very like mechanical, like a video game or a dance would be.
2: Yeah, we already know that. Your primary purpose at any dance was to rap the Sum Forty One rap. That's right. With, yeah, that was uh, Dave and Tubes. That was mission and Tommy. number one. Yeah. Yeah. Always af- the goal. After that,
1: after that, it was make out with girls, which totally happened <laughs> <laughs> in fifth and sixth grade. Yeah. So,
2: what's the music video like? Do you remember it? I do because I rewatched it this week. Had a boy. Nice job. Um, it starts out with. Pete Wentz burning the word homecoming into his date's lawn. Yep, as one does. We've all done it. Parents love that. Yeah, I'm sure sure her dad was so thrilled for (laughs) this guy to show up. (laughs)
1: Marry this man.
2: (laughs) Besides maybe his daughter, there's no greater love a father has than maintaining his lawn. Yep, exactly. So you're really putting yourself in danger when you're, one, taking his daughter to a dance, and two, just... Completely ruining his lawn for seasons to come. <laughs> Disrespecting the front yard. <laughs> Never good. Yeah. She says yes. They go to the dance and uh, they get there, and it turns out that Fallout Boy, the band, is playing at this dance.
1: Yeah. The cool Fallout Boy.
2: The cool Fallout Boy. Much like when Ryan Key in Way Away, he was cool Ryan Key and also loser Ryan Key. Yeah. Because there's hair flip. Yeah. Yeah. Almost. To the same extent, the geeky Boy is also at the dance, and nobody wants to dance with them. Right? It, it's weird. It's just like all these, all these bullies. Just, <laughs> the video is just them like saying they suck and yeah, pushing them into the dance circle and laughing at them. Yep. But by the end of the
1: music video, there are all these cool guys who. I'm pretty sure Patrick is like in the middle of the mosh pit and everybody's loving him. And Pete Wentz does some really bizarre, not good choreographed dance with some like random group of people that join in with him. But they all get the girls in the
2: end. They all are making out with hot girls at the end of the music video. That really bothered me. The fact that <laughs> that Pete does this terrible dance and everybody loves it. Yeah. <laughs> they put no effort into that. You can make fun of him for that. You shouldn't encourage him. But apparently that was a reference to Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, that's right. So I guess that's where it came from. But yeah, I don't know. I guess it's a fun music video. It's, you know, a a staple of its time. I still remember a couple different moves they would do. Like they were big fans of like doing three sixties with their guitars or kicking themselves off. Amps. Whipping the
1: guitars around. Yep. Yeah. Jumping off of the drum set. I noticed that too. And all these music videos actually they were doing tons of
2: acrobatics. Yeah, they were very agile. Um, yeah, I, I still—it was funny because I haven't watched this video in a long time, and I still remember the part where Patrick Stump like makes the heart. Yeah, like, I remember and that. The heart yeah. gets drawn. Uh, pretty cool. Pete Wentz does a salute, which he also does in uh, some other videos. It's kind of weird. Yep. It's like, I guess that's his his cool little thing. Like, salute. I'm Pete Wentz. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> <laughs> very cool salute, bro. <laughs> I teased this, and this this music video had a couple cameos, and those people who cameoed went on to become more than friends. I'm gonna run it through a couple of these. Let's do it. so cameos are made by Ben Jorgensen of the rock group, Armor for Sleep and Travi McCoy of gym Class Heroes. Mm-hmm. Katrina Bowden, who is best known as Suri from the show Thirty Rock. Remember that Keenan? Oh, yeah, she's also in this music video. She plays. This blonde girl that is kind of trying to dance with Patrick and then he's like, oh, who me? And then he yeah. starts dancing and she's like, oh, you're a freaking loser. <laughs> she ends up marrying, Marion, she, <laughs> she ends up marrying Ben Jorgensen in 2013. Whoa. Did they meet on set of the music video? That's where my research ends. And oh, your journey oh, <laughs> I need to know what happened. Did they start dating right after the music video? This was made in 2005, and they don't get married until 2013. So I'm, That'd be a long time to date. She's 18, so really, right. there should be no reason for them to have been dating prior to this point. That's right, Michael. Thinking like a dad, I like that. But they were married in 2013, and they're still together. I love it. I love seeing a happily married couple. Again, two people that nobody really knows much about, I'm sure, but we still should be happy for them. Yeah. Congrats, guys. Actually, made me want to rewatch 30 Rock. We got a um, sponsorship deal with Peacock. That's right, we do, yeah. Yeah, so make sure you check it out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Track number four. This was, I think this one flew a little bit under the radar. It was called Sugar, We're Going Down.
2: <laughs> under whose radar? So, so, some idiots.
1: <laughs> some idiots.
2: What are you, living under a rock?
1: major major success first single from the album is it their most successful song of all time i would say probably right
2: i still consider this their most famous song but i think in more recent years that song centuries mm. that's been everywhere and i was actually surprised to find out that it had centuries had like 600 million plays on spotify and sugar we're going down had like 400 million so that's a jeez a sizable uh difference there
1: yeah, I'm a little shocked by that. Although yeah, I guess Centuries had more pop appeal than Sugar Were Going Down, so
2: Yeah, it's always on like NFL like commercial breaks and things like that. It is, yeah. That's the one that completely it's like samples that coffee shop song, right? Like do 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 oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. It's yeah, like- that's that one. So it's like, come on, guys. Like Everybody already knew that song was catchy. Yeah. You just made it a little bit more upbeat and whatever. This will always be the one, in my opinion. I agree with you. Yeah, this is their
1: all-timer in my book. I think it's the first Fall Out Boy song I ever heard. I remember learning this one on the guitar and the drums. I think everybody back then, if you played a guitar and you were in middle school, you were immediately learning this song as soon as you heard it for the first time.
2: I didn't play the guitar, and I thought that I knew how to play this. You probably did. It's very easy. It's like three chords. That's part of why I liked it was because I could play that and then sing and think that I was like cool like Fall Out Boy. Yeah, you were cool like Fall Out Boy. And the drums were also like the... like Iconic. I wasn't playing it the right way, but it kind of sounded like it. So I, yep. I remember the little drum set you had in your basement. That's right, yeah. You would like rock out. Like the toddler just... drum set, yeah. You used to
1: crush it, yeah. No, but that was an iconic drum intro too, obviously. It seemed like it was about an ex who still was taking shots at you, like a relationship that ended poorly, and this person was still spreading rumors about you, talking about you behind your back, and for whatever reason was still kind of at your throat. And the reason why the chorus is talking about going down, down in an earlier round, sugar going down, swinging, which is a boxing reference, is because you're in this back and forth brawl with this person you used to date. You're each taking shots at each other. You're making fun of each other to your friends, and it's getting back to that person. That's kind of what this song seems to be all about.
2: I don't know if I see it as a breakup or just like a friend zone kind of thing. I guess there are lines where you can kind of make it both. The one that always stands out to me because of the sheer creepiness of it is, is this more than you bargained for yet? Don't mind me, I'm watching YouTube from the closet wishing to be the friction in your jeans. Isn't it messed up how I'm just dying to be him? Again, we discussed this briefly on, not really briefly, but on the Grand Theft Auto <laughs> music video. <laughs> mm-hmm. This whole peeping Tom thing with Fall out Boy, it's like- It comes up a lot. More than it should. It comes up a lot. And this is the most notable example of it just because of how prominent this song was. Right. But it's like you're watching these people make out from assumably her closet and just wishing that you were rubbing against her jeans. It could be an ex-lover. It could just be somebody that you're infatuated with that you kind of are jealous they're into somebody else.
1: See, I see that part of the song as him being sarcastic. Like, she thinks he wants to be the person that she's with now. Like, they broke up, and she's now with this other guy, and in her mind, it's like,
2: oh, he's so jealous of this guy. But you didn't see it like that. I think I'm more of the idea that it's just some friend that likes her. Oh, okay. Well, how do you explain,
1: I'm just a notch in your bedpost, but you're just a line in a song? That's like a classic breakup line. You think so? Like, what is a notch in your bedpost? You put a notch in your bedpost when you've slept with somebody. So the notch is equal the amount of people you slept with. So, Oh, really? He's saying that, in her mind, he's just somebody that she slept with. Okay. she's another guy that she's adding to the notches in her bedpost. And he's shooting back at her saying, oh, well, guess what? You're just a line in this
2: pop punk song that I wrote. That actually kind of makes it different. I didn't ever, this is in real time. I never knew that you make a notch in your bedpost when you sleep with somebody. Yeah. Is that like a common thing or is it just like like a- Well, you
1: wouldn't know because you have zero notches in your bedpost.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Or is it just like a cultural thing that everybody should know?
1: That's like a cultural thing that, you know, if somebody's a real ladies man, they'll say that, oh, this girl that he slept with is just another notch in his bedpost. Gotcha. Damn, I feel so-
2: stupid so that's what that is yeah I, I thought a not i thought it was just like like you know the bedposts that just have like the designs in them yeah like they're just like they're like the little notches along the bedpost
1: so what would that mean you're just this yeah. kind of fun little design in the
2: bedpost no just like nothingness like a nothing burger you're just like a non-factor yeah exactly oh, okay so that's, yeah that's where it was playing into my narrative oh mike you're so young So young and naive. These songs are much more sexual than I realized when I was 14. Very sexual, yeah. And I knew it when I was 14. I have become more corruptible over the years and... Clearly.
1: (laughs) In your Chippendale (laughs)
2: t-shirt. Yeah. (laughs) I'm finally learning all these cool little tricks that one can do. Like... Yeah. Notch. Notch a bedpost. Tell us about the music video. So a guy is into this girl... I totally missed the biggest, most important detail. Huge. This guy has deer antlers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, he's half person, half deer. <laughs> well, like an eighth deer, right? Because everything else is yeah, normal. Yeah, he's mostly mostly human, yeah. and we, we assume everything else is normal. <laughs> At
1: some point in time, he had an ancestor that happened to be a deer.
2: Yeah. yeah. So he has deer antlers, and the video starts, and everybody hates him. He's just walking along the road, and these two 10-year-old kids... I think they throw underpants at his antlers or something Mm -hmm. that sticks to his antlers. And then this little chunky kid just gives him the finger. So that's a pretty good indication that if these chunky little kids are giving you the finger that everybody in town just thinks you're a piece of shit (laughs) because you have deer antlers. But one girl doesn't. She loves him and she accepts him for his differences and they get along great. They do silly things. There's some goofy situations where he's tying her shoe and his deer antlers lifts up her dress by accident. Uh Ah, classic. But her dad hates him. He's a hunter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's meant to hate deer people. Yeah. (laughs) And he is so devastated that his daughter would dare go out with this deer person that he gets his hunting bow and hunting bow, hunting bow and arrow. And he goes out to just shoot, shoot this kid. Yeah, to murder him. Yes. Yeah, which is It's his kind hunter of crazy. instincts. Yeah. A little bit of a of a crazy twist here. A car hits the dad as he's right before he has a chance to shoot the boyfriend. And the boyfriend's going over to help him. He loses like his shoes or his boots when the car hits him. And what does the boyfriend see? The dad has deer hoofs and deer legs. What? Yep. He's a dear person too? Yep. Oh my so God. the dad's self-loathing was mm. what was fueling his hatred of his daughter's boyfriend. But I guess the moral is that we all have differences and sometimes if we're unable to accept our own differences, we try to persecute others for theirs. Whoa, yeah, that's huge. It's just like, take a take a step back. Everybody's just doing the best they can, you know?
1: Yeah, I think the music video has a, Several cool themes, that's one of them. I think there's that theme of forbidden love, kind of like a Romeo and Juliet vibe where these people are not supposed to be together, but love conquers all, you know? And also love people for their differences. I think it's a good message. I think it's actually a way different message than the actual song, unless I'm totally missing something.
2: No, the video definitely holds a different meaning than the lyrics themselves, I think. Yeah, it's cool. The music video is much more positive than than the actual lyrics. Yeah, it is. As we know, the lyrics re- refer to just like one night stands and just using somebody for a sexual like as we all know, yeah, yeah <laughs> track number five, nobody puts baby in the
1: corner. Another movie reference, Mike. I'm going to quiz you. Do you know it? Don't look at my notes.
2: Um, It's Dirty Dancing.
1: You didn't know that.
2: I did. Did you? I haven't seen the movie, but I know that line. I know what movies because I was 14 looking up where they were references to. That's true. Otherwise, I've never seen Dirty Dancing. Is that where he lifts her up at the end? I also haven't
1: seen all of Dirty Dancing, but I'm pretty sure that's the scene where he basically rescues her from her parents who are trying to get her not to dance. And, and he sees her sitting in the corner of this big <laughs> dance hall. They're about to do this big performance and they have her kind of tucked in this corner and he walks over and points at the, the parents and goes, nobody puts baby in the corner. But yeah, that's where it's from.
2: Is that I've had the time of my life? I've I think so, but had I'm not. the time of my life and I've never felt this way before. It is. Okay,
0: nice.
2: Oh, I should mention this is my favorite song.
1: Oh, this is your favorite song?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's a good one. I'm a fan. It's just so it's so catchy. I've always I've always liked it just out of the sheer catchiness. It's so repetitive. I kind of forgot how repetitive it is though. It's like an earworm. Like it just it yeah. really gets stuck in your head. At least it does in, in my case.
1: Yeah, it is a good song. Something I picked up on from one of their first album songs. Tell that Mick dot dot dot. Burning bridges. They talk about mm. burning bridges again. Drink down that gin and kerosene. Mm-hmm. Come spit on bridges with me. They Mm. love
2: talking about burning bridges. They love bridges. Gin and kerosene. I always think of like a kerosene heater. Yeah. That's a very distinctive smell. It is, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's one of the reasons why I just like, I've always liked this song. Because of the word kerosene?
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. okay. It sounds ridiculous, but I'm being completely honest. (laughs) That's fine. We all like these songs for different reasons. The couple of words like that on this album. Similar to what we discussed a lot. This is a song in my mind that's kind of about a forbidden love.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: You see somebody, they're with somebody else, and you think they should be with you. Yep. If you say this makes you happy, then I'm not the only one lying. Like We both know we're not happy where we're at, and we should be together, right? Yeah.
1: I would go further and say that it could be about a woman's in a relationship with a guy and then Pete Wentz or whoever's singing the song is cheating with the girl. I think you're right. So, no, it's definitely forbidden love, dangerous love, if I may.
2: I definitely think there's a a cheating or an affair nature that goes along with it. It says, nothing comes as easy as you. Can I lay on your bed all day? I'll be your best kept secret and your biggest mistake.
1: Yeah. Along that same theme, it seems like in... Pete Wentz's mind, he could be the guy who kind of saves this girl from her relationship, from this terrible boyfriend. She belongs with him instead of the guy she's currently with. That relates directly back to Dirty Dancing because it's all about Patrick Swayze's character, Johnny, saving baby from her parents, breaking her out of her shell, opening her worldview. I think that's kind of what they're hinting at here. Definitely. Because dancing is... Forbidden in that movie. Isn't that the whole point of the movie?
2: I thought that was Footloose. Is that
1: Footloose? (laughs) Well, isn't Dirty Dancing the same thing? They're like, oh, you shouldn't be dancing like that. I haven't seen it. We should probably watch that movie. Hey,
2: quit dancing so dirty, will ya? (laughs) I think that's legitimately the theme. (laughs) I wouldn't doubt it. I think every 80s movie was either about a girl's birthday or (laughs) dancing. Yeah, it was like a coming-of-age tale (laughs) or dancing. Or both. Oftentimes both. Sometimes both. Yeah. We'll get to that. On we will. A later song. Yeah. It could be him saving her or it could just be you're messing everything up and you're living a lie. And I am this secret that you're keeping like the part of the song where it's like, wear me like a locket around your throat. I'll weigh you down. I'll watch you choke. This is this weight that you're carrying that you have this secret love. The sooner you uh, you break up with this guy and start dating me, the better. Right. One musical note for this one, Keenan, the backing guitar and the chorus. Mm, it's so good. I know what you're talking it's about. It's so good. It's so good. It's like the second part of each chorus. It goes, like, we'll, we'll put it in here. But that. I think, <laughs> no, I just want to hear you do it over and over <laughs> again. <laughs> Perfect. I think that's the part that really gets stuck in my head. And once the first time I heard that, now I only hear that part at that part. Same, yeah, I know It's so funny,
1: I know the exact part you're talking about There's something about it, yeah, it just kind of stands out Yeah, it really
2: does Nothing comes as easy as you can Lay in your bed all day I'll be your best, damn secret and your biggest mistake
1: Track number six, I've Got a Dark Alley and a Bad Idea that Says You Should Shut Your Mouth, in parentheses, summer song. That's a weird one. And the
2: poets are
0: just cute.
1: It's a really different sounding song. It's kind of a sadder sounding song in a weird way. It's hard to describe. It just doesn't sound like typical Fallout Boy
2: music. I never realized how sad it actually was. But when I was re-listening to it and reading the lyrics, it was like, man, this is such a downer. Yeah. It's a lot about like a person's mental health and where you fit in with the other people in your life. There's right. one line that really stuck out to me half dead from comparing myself to everyone else around me. And that really struck a chord because I feel like everybody's in those situations sometimes where they're so honed in on what other people are doing and convincing themselves that other people are living better lives or having more fun than them, that they really get down on themselves. So yep. when I was re-listening to it, I'm like, man, I've been there.
1: Yeah, for sure. The guys in Fall Out Boy are thinking about their own lives, thinking about their own careers And they wrote this song because of that. The emotional toll of being in a famous band, trying to please everyone, knowing that everybody is kind of judging all your lyrics and all your music, kind of like we are right now. Um, Yeah, we suck. (laughs) Whoops. But no, I mean, there's a line, and I want to be known for my hits, not just my misses. Nobody ever gives me credit for the good things I do, just the bad things. So I think it is self-reflective of uh, kind of always being in the spotlight and always being put on this
2: pedestal. Yeah. It says we can fake it for the airwaves, force our smiles. So it's like you wake up, you do some radio interviews, you go on TRL, you got to be ready to go and ready to entertain. And sometimes you wake up and that's just not the kind of day you really feel like having. Right. Pete Wentz actually described this song
1: as looking in the mirror and not feeling safe in your own skin. So clearly he was trying to make a point with this song that he was not feeling right. And I think it's, Actually, a perfect lead into the next song. I bet you're right. You actually are. The next, the next song is bummer, too. Track number seven is called Seven Minutes in Heaven, Ada Van Halen, which, as we know, Mike, is about Pete Wentz's drug overdose and suicide attempt in 2005. Yeah,
2: another, another uh, song that's on the very somber side.
1: So the way that I see it is Pete Wentz was feeling down, feeling like he was being held to this ridiculously high standard that he couldn't hit, feeling like the pressure was really on, and then leads right into this song about the lowest part of
2: his life when essentially he tried to end it. Ativan's a sleeping pill, right? I think so, yeah. When I was younger, like, I didn't know what anything was. But the first line is, I'm sleeping my way out of this one with anyone who will lay down. Right. So I think it obviously alludes to, you know, his depression and his issues that he was facing at this time, but I also saw it as like obvious references to a relationship that's ended and that you are still really just can't get over. Yeah, it's a good parallel, yeah. You're just sleeping with anybody, you're having these one-night stands, and then the next part of that line is I'll be stuck fixated on one star when the world is crashing down. So mm. It's kind of like a different way to say there's plenty of fish in the sea. Right. You focus on this one star, your world's crashing down around you, and you're like just so tunnel vision on this one ex or this one person that you're becoming numb to all the other stuff that's going on around you, which I thought was interesting.
1: That type of breakup could make it feel like it's the end of the world, could make it feel like maybe attempting suicide or something drastic. Yeah, I I think you're totally right about that. To your point, Mike, I thought that this song was mostly about just being lonely. There's the analogy of being alone at dances, not getting the attention from the girl. I think it's just all about feeling alone in the world, as dark as that may be, but I think that's the message that Pete wanted to get out there. Very serious song, obviously.
2: Yeah, we can't let it go without, I'm sorry, Pete, but the one line it's like, it says, I keep telling myself I'm not the desperate type, but you've got me looking in through blinds. More peeping Tom, dude. More peepy, creepy shenanigans. They again. always need to throw it in there.
1: I'm starting to think that P. Wentz may have been a peeping Tom. He probably was. Mm.
2: So I, that was like, you're what looking in through blinds, seeing what your ex is up to, or seeing what's right. going, trying to still be a part of her life through this weird voyeurism that it could be innocent, but could be nefarious.
1: Yeah, and he's probably saying that he's usually not that guy, but since he's at this super low point, she kind of put him in this place where this is what he's resorting to. So kind of interesting. We talk a lot about parallels between Panic at the Disco songs, Panic at the Disco albums, and Fall Out Boy songs, Fall Out Boy albums. Brendan Urie actually sings backing vocals in this song. So I think a lot of those parallels actually kind of come together in this song. Very interesting.
2: Yeah, that's cool. I never realized that. Um, Never could have picked him out from when I was listening to it years ago. but. As we did previously discuss, Pete once kind of discovered Panic at the Disco, so yeah, kind of cool for him to, for follow-up Boy, to put Brandon on this album and really give them that spotlight. Very cool.
1: Track number eight: Sophomore Slump or Comeback of the Year. I would say comeback of the year, Mike. I was going to say the same. Yeah, that's my choice. Another pretty self-reflective song, I think. I think the whole point of the title is they're wondering if this second installment of theirs is going to be their sophomore slump, if it's not going to resonate with people, or it's going to be their big comeback. It's going to be kind of this big showcase as their second attempt at an album.
2: Their first album was so well-received that there was a lot of pressure on them to make something of at least similar acclaim. And you see it a lot with bands where they have all this praise on their debut release and then everybody's just expecting something big and that pressure kind of gets to them and they completely blow it. Fallout Boy did not. I think it's safe to say, looking back, this was the comeback of the year. Yeah, boys. They did it. I'm so pumped. They do go back and forth in the
1: song explaining how great their music is and how poignant their lyrics are and then explaining that they're just lying and they're actually frauds. So I think they are kind of wondering how this album is going to be received. It reminded me a lot of something that's actually come up a lot recently. I see it posted on social media a lot. Imposter
2: syndrome. Have you heard of imposter syndrome before? The name strikes me as familiar, but I couldn't really tell you what it is. So no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good answer. <laughs> I know the two words separate of one another.
1: <laughs> oh, well, that's that's half the battle there. So it's this concept, I guess, in psychology where people are always doubting their skills or accomplishments, and they have this internalized feeling of being exposed as a fraud. Like, everything they've accomplished is just a matter of circumstance and not actually because of their talents. And I think this song is them experiencing that phenomenon. Like, they are super famous. They have really good music, really good songs. Everybody loves them, but... They just feel like they made it out of luck as opposed to their own merit. And
2: so they're just wondering like, are we actually as good as people think we are? Or is this all just fake? Interesting. Yeah, I never knew there was a term for that. That's just what I feel on a day to day basis. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I've noticed like during the pandemic, people are
1: posting a lot about it. So I think people are like in their own heads a lot and having self doubt about like everything that's going on around them. It's like kind of dark, actually. Oh, yeah.
2: The pandemic's been brutal. It's like, there's really no longer a convenient way to mask your internal, like, goings-ons or whatever.
1: There's no hiding from yourself when you're constantly stuck with yourself.
2: <laughs> yeah, it kind of it kinda sucks. Like, most of the time I'm like, Jack drives us crazy and whatnot, but it's like, thank God he's around because, like, I don't know what I would be doing otherwise. I could definitely yeah. see where people start to get in their own heads and really wonder if, if they're a, a big phony, which is, that's a fear people have, you know? It is it's real, but your authenticity is is not actual authenticity, yeah,
1: it's nice that I learned that term in the last couple months because now I can apply it to this fun little song of
2: fallout boys. well yeah, were you just googling like, why do I feel so <laughs> yeah. inadequate like at I swear any other moment? people are
1: posting <laughs> on social media. I totally wasn't doing
2: my own research. I swear many people are posting about this. Why am I such a fraud? Yeah, it's are, are we growing up or just going down? Like, exactly. When yeah. is the second shoe going to drop? A couple points I want to tick off here, Keenan. We've mentioned it on previous Fall Out Boy songs, but they refer to themselves as boys or kids a lot, which always kind of makes me like, eh.
1: Yeah, that's their thing.
2: They love it. So we have one in this one. We're well-read and poised. We're the best boys. We're the best boys. Yeah. Are they ever going to actually grow up, Mike? Or are they just going to be boys their whole lives? Are they growing up or just going down? Whoa. Kenan? It's just a matter of time till they're all found out. I don't know why this entered my head, but do you remember uh, our old friend Krista Sariani from, from GMA? Of course. So I remember her aim profile had the lyrics, I swear I'd burn the city down to show you the light. It was either her profile or, like, her buddy icon. Yeah. I remember at the time, I was like, that's a cool line. And then, like, later on, I heard this song. I'm like, oh, it was Fall Out Boy. So I need to give a shout out to Krista for being... She was always, like, on, like, new groups and stuff like that. So
1: She was ahead of the curve with, like, pop punk, emo, alternative, definitely. Yeah. It is funny you mention that because I actually made notes for many of these songs that tons of these lyrics were, like... Very vintage AIM away messages or AIM profiles. Like, people had so many of these lines Mm -hmm. in their AIM somewhere. That's funny that you picked that up because this wasn't one of the songs that I made a note of that, but there's, like, three others where
2: I did. It's kind of subtweeting today. It was, like, the original subtweeting. Right. Like, you were leaving an away message or something directed at one person who you wanted to see it. (laughs) Right, yeah. But...
1: But the whole world had to be subjected to it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You could claim uh, ignorance or, you know, like, oh, no, that's just a song. I'm not referring to you and what we were just discussing. Right. Yeah, exactly. That happens sometimes. And that was cold, especially when you like. Yeah. You were in an aim, like not a fight, but just t- like back and forth. And then like they hit you with the away message. And it's like something like that. And you just know it's like, oh, wait, that's about. And me, you know it's
1: it? about you. You just know it.
2: Yeah. I'm not saying this line in particular would would have been one of those lines, but. I do remember. I was like, that's an interesting line.
1: Were aim away messages the original cyberbullying? I would say yes. How so? I don't know. Just putting these like dark, mean lyrics that are clearly directed at one person and they know it to hurt their feelings.
2: I guess. Honestly, there was probably cyberbullying before then. I mean,
1: yeah, true. In like chat rooms and stuff. Yeah, true. You should know, dude. You were one of them.
2: (laughs) I was. I was cyber bullied beyond repair.
1: No, I'm saying. <laughs>
2: <laughs> do you? Do you I'm saying it? you were one of the bullies. Oh, okay. I probably should save this for when uh, someday we discuss Papa Roach. But oh, while we're on the subject of away messages, <laughs> I remember it was eighth grade. So like, oh, maybe old enough to like know better. Like this is pretty cringy, but. Uh, we had just lost the championship basketball game mm-hmm. so it was like the end of my basketball career we had lost a game uh
1: your long storied and Mercy
2: basketball <laughs> career we lost on our home court to Angela Asunta I uh, hate those guys and uh it was rough it was a kind of it was a kind of close game if i remember correctly but i got home and this is advice i can pass on to my kids one day but it's like when you're in a rough or like vulnerable spot, it's never a good idea to go online and like post things or, or do things. Um, and I just remember I logged on to AIM and then I just made my away message. I tear my heart open. I sew myself shut. And my weakness is that I care too much <laughs> from the Papa Road song, Scars. I see. Yeah. I see nothing wrong with that. <laughs> and I just was like, and people would message me like, Bro, are you okay, oh, sorry, man? Bro. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Bro. Well, every, I think sorry about the loss, knew. bro. Everybody knew. Yeah. Because maybe I added something extra, like GMA B ball for life, like R.I.P. Love, love you, brothers, or something. Yeah. But I um, don't. People would do stuff like that, like kind of fishing for attention. Oh,
1: totally. Yeah. I still do that, fishing for yeah. attention. Yeah. Check my aim tonight. <laughs> I think you'll see. I need, to get, I
2: need to get back on aim.
1: Track number nine. Champagne for my real friends, real pain for my sham friends. I'll say right away, Mike, this is one of my favorite song titles of all time. It's a good one. It's up there with
2: cute without the E for me. It's kind of almost like a little bit of a tongue twister. It is, yeah. If you say it too fast, you might mess it up. Yeah, it's very witty. It actually comes from a movie. Did you know that? No, I was trying to look. I saw a couple different origins, I guess you could say.
1: It comes from the Spike Lee movie 25th Hour, which stars Edward Norton and Philip Seymour Hoffman. Rest in peace. And it's a scene, I think, where one of the characters, probably Edward Norton, is giving a toast. And I think he says that. So that's where it comes from. Interesting. I also didn't know that. Had to look that up, but kind of cool.
2: Another movie reference. I have no idea what that movie is. So I did not think that that was where it was from, but I think it's like a toast that goes back a number of centuries. So Oh really? Yeah. At least I was on the disambiguation page on Wikipedia and that's what it said at the top. But I would bet that that's probably where Fallout Boy got it from was that movie. Yeah. I uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So I kind of saw this as like a little bit of a a wild relationship song. Like maybe not Bonnie and Clyde, but more of like partners in crime, I guess. Like a not your standard couple. And there's a couple of lines that make me think that way. It's There's obvious references to getaway cars and being caught and things of that nature. But I also thought it could relate to the band itself because there's a line, we're friends just because we move units. So I thought that could be partners in like, I don't know, drugs or something like that. Or mm-hmm. we discussed previously like Patrick and Pete's relationship where like they have this collaborative effort that works and sometimes they're combative in that relationship but yeah their friendship is based mainly in the fact that there's a mutual benefit that they provide for one another
1: right no I think you're right I think I was leaning towards the latter for sure I think this was a shout out to each other and kind of a shout out maybe even to just the pop punk scene that was around them once I found out that this was a pretty famous toast and this was from a movie where somebody's giving a toast. I thought it was almost like a toast to each other. There is this feeling like we're in this together. Strike us like matches because everybody deserves the flames. We only do it for the scars and stories, not the fame. It's like clearly kind of referring to each other. Um, Like they're brothers, they're boys.
2: They're in it for the long haul. So yeah, I I think that's what it is. It's a toast to each other. Yeah, I like that notion a lot because there's obvious spots in this album where they're trying to give the rub to one another. Like we see... Different label mates of Fueled by Ramen in Panic at the Disco. The Academy is all these different guys that they're having on their songs and their videos to try to help one another out. So, yeah, that's a cool thing. I never actually looked at it that way, but I like it.
1: Yeah. Track number 10, I slept with someone in Fallout Boy and all I got was a stupid song written about me. Wow. Okay. here we go.
2: You remember those wacky T-shirts?
1: Oh, yeah. Those were great. I had one. No, I didn't. But I definitely saw them.
2: My uncle went to Myrtle Beach and all I got was this t-shirt. Yeah. Those are the best. Yeah.
0: I found the cure to growing older And you're the only place that feels like home Just so you know, you'll never know And some secrets were meant to be told But I found the cure to growing older
1: I think it's about trouble getting over an ex after a bad breakup, someone who probably cheated on you, perhaps. Yeah. The opening line, I found the cure to... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The opening line, I found the cure to growing older. I think the cure is something pretty dark. I think it's either murder or suicide. Is that too much?
2: No, I I was right there with you. Either suicide or dying in general. Yeah. Which, again, didn't catch on when I was 14, but... no. Like we said about Heidi Klum, you can exfoliate and get 8 hours of sleep every night. That's right. <laughs> for yeah. as as long as you can, but at a certain point you're going to start growing a little bit older. So, yeah. So, they found the cure, and I think what he's saying there is
1: he's so burned after this relationship that he's considering one or the other. He's considering either killing this person or committing suicide.
2: Yeah, the suicide thing, like the I found the cure to growing older, like that hit me first. I did never catch on to the weird, like, murderous undertones of it. I didn't either, yeah. In the second verse, it's find a safe place, brace yourself, bite your lips. I'm sending your fingernails and empty bottles you've sipped back to your family, because I know you'll be missed. So you can find a safe place, brace yourself. They call kids like us vicious and carved out of stone. But for what we become, we just feel more alone. Yeah, it's, like, incredibly dark. Always weigh what I've got against what I have left. So progress report, I am missing you to death.
1: Yeah. That's kind of epic. It's pretty dark, but yeah, pretty epic. I think what they're trying to get at is overly dramatic responses after relationships, in particular when you're a young kid. Like this is a young kid who just got dumped, the relationship flamed
2: out and now he's having these ridiculous thoughts, these overly dramatic thoughts. Yeah, everything about the song is over the top and I kind of I kind of love it. It's definitely one of the heavier songs. There's a lot of screaming in this song. Yeah. And I never knew the lyrics that they were screaming and I never knew who was actually screaming those lyrics. It's Someone old, no one new, feeling borrowed, always blue, which is, you know, the classic twist on what a woman needs to have on her wedding day. Right. And I just thought if I had been able to incorporate that somehow in my wedding day, you know that there's seen kids out there that are like they have Fallout Boy themed weddings or like that's printed somewhere on like the invitations or party favors or whatever. If you had that, I may have actually showed up to your wedding. <laughs> You and I both know that you did show up. I know. It was great. We had a fun time. <laughs> but the person singing in the, or I should say screaming those lyrics, I always thought it was Pete. It's actually Chad Gilbert of Newfound Glory.
1: Our old pal, Chad Gilbert?
2: Yeah. Lead our, guitarist of Newfound Glory? Our buddy. Wow. Yeah. I always just assumed Pete was the screamer and Fallout Boy, but no, it was uh, somebody else entirely. Yeah, there's a lot of cool cameos in this album. That's definitely one of them.
1: Track number 11, A Little Less 16 Candles, A Little More Touch Me.
2: Mike, is that the original title of this song? No, it's not, Keenan. The original title was actually going to be a little less Molly Ringwald, a little more Samantha Fox. What's that all about? Molly Ringwald was the classic redheaded actress that John Hughes favored in a couple of his films. She was the lead of Sixteen Candles. And Touch Me is a reference to the hit song by Samantha Fox, which played at the end of that film. I don't really know why it was changed. Maybe just similar to the first song. They didn't want to call anybody out by name. Yeah. So it's still like just a movie and a song and whatever. But I'm starting to get the sense that their managers and
1: lawyers got involved in a lot of their references. I think they were trying to play it rather safe. So yeah, I would imagine that they probably stepped in when they wanted to use those
2: names. I doubt Molly Ringwald would care, but who knows?
1: But this was the third single of the album obviously hugely famous one of the catchier songs one of the bigger songs definitely another fallout boy all-timer carries this feeling like the original title suggested and like the new title also suggests, I do get this sense of this traditional eighties, nineties rom drum, quote unquote coming of age tale theme, where the nerdy, helpless guy is trying to win over the popular girl. That's the
2: feeling of the song. Those are the lyrics of the song, that's kind of what it's all about. Definitely. You have the Molly Ringwalds of the world, and then you have the Anthony Michael Halls of the world and Usually, unless it's every single John Hughes movie from the 1980s, their paths do not mix or do not cross. That's right. Yeah. This has another line. Shout out again to our friend Alex. Her MySpace header for the longest time had the line, hey, kid, you'll never live this down. Yep. This is one that I was going
1: to point out. Yeah. I do remember that one vividly.
2: I still feel it. It sounds weird, but I still was like, that's a cool line. Yeah. Really cool line.
1: So I do have a question for you, Mike. In the chorus, is he talking to himself? Is he talking to the girl? I always heard it one way back in the day and through the years. And then once I kind of got into this analysis zone, I actually started hearing it and viewing it in a totally different way today. What are your thoughts on that? Do you have thoughts on that?
2: That's a good question. I don't know. It could be both because kisser, kisser kind of sounds like your internal dialogue, like Yeah. Now's your chance. Like, what are you going to do? Come on, kiss her. Stuff like that.
1: But I always viewed it as the first part of the chorus. I don't blame you for being you, but you can't blame me for hating it. I always thought he was talking to a girl or like somebody he wanted to date. Like, okay, it's not your fault that you have these terrible qualities. But of course, I'm not going to like that about you. What I realized today is that I think he's actually talking to himself because the whole song is about how he doesn't have the courage to actually ask this popular girl out or kiss this popular girl. The very next line, as you said, is kiss her, kiss her. I set my clocks early because, you know, I'm always late. I'm always missing the signs, missing the cues. So I think he's actually trying to pep himself off. Or pep himself off. (laughs) Yikes. Oh, God. (laughs) I haven't, I've never heard of that one either. (laughs) I think he's actually trying to pep himself up. He's saying, I don't blame you, meaning myself, for being you. I don't blame you for being this coward, but... I'm going to hate that I don't have the courage to do this. It was the first time I actually heard that today, and I thought it was kind of interesting. That is interesting.
2: I don't know if I fully buy it, but it does make sense. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for humoring me for a second. You spend the nice, the nice, thoughtful reflection on, and I just shoot it down immediately. Yep, I appreciate it. No, you're right. I've never thought of it as being internal or about oneself either, but that line, it's my tattoo line. Whoa, really? One of the ones you mentioned, I don't blame you for being you, but you can't blame me for hating it. Talk about an aim away message. Yeah. That's a, just a huge burn.
1: Yeah, huge burn. And you're going to up the game and throw that smack dab on your bod.
2: Mm-hmm. Where are we popping that one in? Do I get a fresh set of skin for the new season? Well, that's a good question. I don't know, because eventually... You know, we're on a pretty good pace here, Keenan. We're going to do thousands of these episodes. Eventually, I'm going to look like Dennis Rodman. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Travis Barker. Logistically, I would say yes, because
1: it's going to be very hard to keep track. But I would say to keep it fun, no, you got to find a new place every time.
2: All right. Well, considering that I still don't know if we... I don't know what I've used before, so... I know it. Trust me. I know it. I'm going to say my left... A uh, middle finger. Whoa, really? That's kind of cool, right? That's not bad. Yeah, that's a good one. And when you have that
1: quote on your body, are you talking to somebody else externally? Or is that about yourself? Is that a reminder to yourself?
2: It's going to be like when I give somebody the middle finger.
1: Okay, so it's going to be at somebody else. So like lean in and they'll read it.
2: Yeah. Like, I don't blame you for picking me,
1: but you can't hear me. What? After you give them the middle finger, that's a double burn. Yeah. You can't come back from
2: that oh, maybe I can do it like one middle finger is. I don't blame you for being you. And they're like, "Oh," But the other one's like, but you can't blame me for hating it. That's not bad. I'm okay with that one. That's devastating, dude. Yeah. All right, that's what I'll do. That's a low blow. That's a kick when you're down. I'll do both middle fingers. Cool, okay. That's good. Middle fingers are out. We have a boy line here. I'm just a boy who's had too many chances, and you're just a girl right. all the boys want to dance with. So These guys are forever stuck in middle school. Got to throw that in. This has always bothered me. The line, I set my clocks early because I know I'm always late. If you set your clocks early, that just means you're going to be more late, right? I've thought about it No. for years. No. It'll help you be on time because if you
1: need to be somewhere at one thirty. And
2: your clock, oh, I don't know now. This is what happens every single time. No, I'm not sure. <laughs> I always think there's a clear answer. I think it means you're going to be even later. Because say it's 8 o'clock and you turn your clock back to 7 o'clock. Oh, yeah. It's still 8 o'clock. But you're going to leave your house at 7.30. It's actually going to be 8.30. Yeah, that's true. And then by the time you get to where you're going, it's even later than it would have been if you just were always late in general. Yeah,
1: because if you set it, if you set
2: your clock... 10 minutes late,
1: you're going to think you're late. The time says it's later than it actually is. You're going to think you're late. So then you're going to rush,
2: but you'll actually be on time. You're right. Right. But uh, as we all know, like whenever you have a late clock, you just know that that's your late clock. So mm. it's like it, it just becomes a second factor that becomes a non-factor because you just auto-correct it in your head. You're right. Yeah.
1: Um, that's a great point. I think I just figured out, though. I think when they're saying they set their clocks early,
2: I think what he means is they're setting their alarms early. I was thinking that could be it, too, because are you a one-alarm guy or are you a a many-alarm guy? (laughs) I was going to ask you this. I am a multiple,
1: multiple multiple-alarm guy Yeah. in a very unhealthy way. Me, too. It's bad. So, yeah, I always set, like, three or four early ones because I know
2: I'm going to be late. But this is also before, like, I don't know, 2005? I guess I had cell phones. I guess the classic alarm clock, there's always the snooze. I set my clocks early. I don't know. I don't know. No clue. There is also a music video for this song and it's my favorite of all the music videos for this album. I think there's a, a shorter version and an extended version. I checked out the extended version again this week. It's like a mini movie. Yeah, it's like six or seven minutes long. It's pretty cool. Like It's still the same like kind of cringy, kind of like, eh, <laughs> like 2005, 2006 that you came to know and love back then. Going off of the 80s movies, it's The band plays a group of vampire hunters and pretty much their town is being overrun by a vampire. So there's some other elements that go into it. Like I think Pete Wentz was bit by a vampire and is like slowly becoming a vampire. Yeah. So he has like powers like he can fly, but he's trying to like maintain his like good nature and, and harness his good energy. Well, do you know the Blade franchise? I do, but I've never seen any of the movies. I've seen... Is that a part of it? Like the...
1: It's basically the same premise. It's Blade is a vampire, but he found a way to contain it. And now he hunts other vampires.
0: But he's always on
1: the verge of like relapsing and doing the wrong thing and killing people. But, you know, for the most part, he's able to kind of keep the straight and narrow. And he's a part of this team that hunts down vampires. So, yeah, I think that was kind of the reference. And that's essentially what Pete Wentz is. He's a vampire who hunts vampires. And he's always on the verge of being a bad vampire again. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So it's kinda cool. It is a really cool music video. Lots of choreographed dancing
2: in there. Lots of good fight scenes. I love the fight scenes. The fight scenes they're actually pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I was expecting it to be like bad corny, but it was like good corny. Yeah, it was really good corny. Like we had mentioned earlier, there's a ton of cameos from people. Uh Brendan Urey, Travis McCoy. Chad Gilbert, I think too, right? Like all the guys that are featured singing in on this album, I think are in the music video. Yeah, it's a huge cast. The Fallout Boys, Vampire Hunters, and they're coming to realize that like the vampires are all around them. Patrick gets bit and goes down. Somebody gets killed, and then Pete is fighting and gets arrested. And then, um, in the police car, he realizes like he looks outside, then he sees all these vampires, and then. He looks up to the front seat and he sees that both the cops are also vampires. It's a great twist.
1: Sorry to ruin it, but great twist. It's like the sugar we're going down when he finds out that the dad was a deer man. Track number 12, Get Busy Living or Get Busy Dying. Do your part to save the scene and stop going to shows. A lot going on in there, Mike. That's a very loaded title.
2: Loaded God title. (laughs)
1: I will say the first part of the title is a reference to a quote from Shawshank Redemption. Get busy
2: living or get busy dying. It's from that movie. That's right. That's that's a great movie. I have seen that one. Really good movie. Get busy living or get busy dying. <laughs> it's by Morgan Freeman. Another good impression. I don't even know if he's the one that says that line. Uh, No, I think the other guy does. I think Andy Dufresne does. I mentioned there's a couple heavy hitters. This is a heavy hitter in terms of there's a lot going on. There's a lot of screaming, there's a lot of back and forth. Yeah, very emotional, very poignant. It's like the fever pitch of this album before we kind of bring it back down for XO after it. It's like we've put it all out there, all of our emotion, all of our everything. And this is our one last gasp of Fallout Boy for you.: Is it about giving up on a relationship that's not working? Is
1: about realizing that things have been going south and abandoning? somebody?
2: Yeah. It's not even that things are going south. It's just that things were doomed from the start. We never stood a chance and I'm not sure if it matters. Mm. And I know this hurts, it was meant to. So it's just people that are at their wits end with one another and there's no going back. They're just, they're on their way to rock bottom with one another, I guess.
1: So Pete or the singer of the song, whoever the protagonist is in the song, that person's realizing that, This is rock bottom. It was doomed. And the only thing you can do is kind of end it now. So he's thinking, okay, I better get busy living or get busy dying. Like this is the point where it's either go down with the ship or end it and move on essentially. Mm -hmm. Kind of like that quote from
2: Shawshank. We have a double boys on this one, Keenan. Double boys. Double boys. All us boys are just screaming into microphones for attention because we're just so bored. And then... I used to obsess over living, now I only obsess over you. Tell me you like boys like me better in the dark lying on top of you. Boy, oh boy, Mike. Typical man Keenan, just lying on top of you and thinking that it's fantastic, right? (laughs) Yeah, classic. The last time when Patrick Stump says matter, I really loved that part. Yeah. He goes like, That is cool, yeah.
1: It's his unique way of singing.
2: that ending that's like the most emo part of this album man Pete's poem at the end oh my god so dramatic we were listening to it in the car this week and Abby just started laughing out loud when that came on she was like wait what what is this it's so over the top it's one
1: of those things where at the time he was probably like or everybody in the band was probably like this is gonna be the biggest thing it's gonna be so meaningful so impactful and now they probably look back on it like
2: oh my god what were we doing we'll put it in we, I'm not going to read it because it I would make me feel uncomfortable, but <laughs> it seemed like that was a thing to do at the time. Like, let's have a talking portion of our song. Yeah. If you were, like, a real emo band, you threw a good talking portion in there. Yeah. I'm thinking of a particular used song, which I'm sure we'll talk about one day, that really yep. was, like, the best for me.
0: Day one, I talked about getting out, but not forgetting about how all my worst fears are letting out. He said, why well, put a new address? On the same old loneliness When breathing just passes the time Until we all just get old and die Now talking's just a waste of breath And living's just a waste of death And why put a new address On the same old loneliness And this is you and me And me and you Until we've got nothing left
2: They end it on a right note With this next song I'm glad they didn't end the album With with this little poem because Agreed,
1: yeah It would have been a strange way To end it, I think Agree with you, agree Track number 13 the final song on the album, XO. I comb the crowd and pick you out
0: My mouth moves too fast for you to figure it out It starts eyes closed to fingers crossed To I swear I say To I swear I say so hands between-
1: This had always been my favorite song for years. Something about it stood out. It was very different. Starts in a very kind of creepy, dark way and then builds and builds and builds, but then ends in this kind of like big, loud, triumphant way. So I always liked this song. I think recently there are others that have passed it, but it's
2: always been one of my favorites. Like I said, I'm really glad they chose to end the album on this song. It was always one of my favorites as well looking through a crowd trying to find a person that you love and then realizing that love isn't all it's cracked up to be. And Is he catching her cheating in this song? Is that the whole point of it? I think so. Because once again, we have some more creepy peepy. Creepy peepy. Creepy peepy? It's creepy peepy. Is it creepy peedy though? Peeping Tom. Yeah, <laughs> it's creepy Creepy, peepy. creepy peepy. It is. It's kind of unfortunate because Pete is having Patrick sing all of these things. And it's like... I know. Y- you have disassociated from Pete, but it's like... <laughs> Yes, This is what you're, this is you, right? Yeah. Is Patrick ever uncomfortable singing any of these songs or what? I don't know. I'll ask him. It's like, I left my conscious pressed through the keyhole as I watched you dress, kiss, and tell. Yeah.
0: Loose lips sink ships. Love that part.
2: And that loose lips sink ships. I listened to the song before I understood the historical context of that line. It was an idiom meaning, beware of unguarded talk during World War II. Like, you don't know who you could be talking to in a bar or, you know, when you're out and about. So, what you say could jeopardize the country's um, actions and and stuff in the war. But in terms of this song, it's like, I think that's just like a pop-punk kind of line. Like, the loose lips sink ships. It's like, watch your mouth, butt your tongue. Yeah. Well, this relationship,
1: her extramarital affair was probably ruined because... Somebody heard through somebody, heard through somebody and got back to the lead singer. And then Mm -hmm. now he's out this bar spying on her as she's cheating on him. So, yeah, I think it's like this kind of fake warning, like, oh, you kind of get what you wished for. Do you ever wonder about the XO, like the title of it? I never really wondered about it. But when I was going through it again, I had an idea. You write XO sometimes when you sign your name in a letter something like that, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I think it can be interpreted as both their signature, like this is the end of the album, but also his signature on a letter like, this is the end of our relationship. Like he's signing it like, okay, goodbye, you cheated on me, sign Pete XOXO. But obviously it also rounds out the album and closes it out.
2: Yeah, I could see that. There's also the lines to the love, to my love, like in a letter. Right, yeah. Like he says he he leaves it pressed between the pages of a Bible in the drawer. So maybe like he, or through a keyhole, maybe he's like, leaving a letter at this hotel room where it's like his breakup letter to somebody he used to love. The adultery is taking place or whatever. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's what I was thinking too.
2: I have no idea if this is a intended connection or not, but Elliot Smith is one of my favorite singers. Like he's my favorite singer of all time. And one of his albums is called XO. And one of his most famous songs is called uh, Waltz number two XO. Mm -hmm. Anyway, He also had a tattoo on his arm of Ferdinand the Bull. What? And he also really related to that story of like Ferdinand the Bull. What? So isn't that a weird like connection that Yeah. The album is named after that story and this song is named after like well, I mean, exo is a common phrase, so I'm not saying it's like oh that's Elliot Smith, but still it's a weird connection.
1: I don't know much about Elliot Smith. Is there any other connection? Like is he from Chicago? Like did they
2: Are they fans of his? Do they listen to him? Do they know him? He's from Portland, Oregon. Oh. But, I mean, I don't know if they were fans, but he's incredibly depressing. So I could definitely see them, like, having listened to him at some point.
1: Maybe they drew some inspiration from him, and this is just kind of part of that inspiration. Yeah, I could totally see that. That's interesting.
2: The whole Ferdinand thing was especially, because I'm like, it's a kid's story from 1936. Like, I, I understand it's like, there was a recent John Cena incarnation of yeah. it like animated but that's right, yeah. this was ba- way way before that so oh that's kind of fascinating interesting probably nobody really cares except that that's my favorite singer so i'm like oh that's interesting
1: yeah nice so big album mike i think one of the biggest albums in the pop punk
2: genre of all time this one you'll find towards the top of a lot of different like best of lists or best pop punk or albums of the decade I think
1: when I listened to this album originally, when you know we were 15, 16, I think listening to this album fully through and listening to more Fall Out Boy songs was when I started to develop this understanding that pop punk was its own unique genre. Bands I knew before them were like Blink-182, who was kind of all over the radio. I didn't really know that they were part of this different scene. I just kind of saw them as a band. But once I kind of listened to more Fallout Boy, it seemed like there were a lot of bands doing similar stuff, talking about similar stuff. This is what clued me into pop punk as a totally unique scene.
2: With Fallout Boy, Panic of the Disco, and My Chemical Romance, they were the bands when, like, I had always listened to pop punk. Like, I listened to Good Charlotte, Simple Plan, Newfound Glory, Jimmy Eat World for a long time. But with these bands, the mid 2000s bands that were really prominent at that time, That's when I really got the idea that like, at least at the point in my life, like I was 14, 15, it's like, oh, like I still love this music, but like a lot of people think this music is really lame. Yeah. It was a weird year because it was like our summer of 2005 was between eighth grade and high school. So I go all the summer, like I love this album, this band's incredible, like, and then you go into high school and it's like. (laughs) Everybody bullies you for it. (laughs) Yeah. or Everybody's (laughs) trying to like, I'm sure a lot of people liked Fall Out Boy, but it wasn't like. You didn't go to school the first day and be like, hey, you hear that Fall Out Boy album? Like yeah. It just wasn't something you did. So
1: It didn't have tons of broad popularity like a Blink-182 or Sum 41 did. Yeah. Bands like those.
2: I think Sugar We're Going Down was the one exception. but like
1: I think it was a more emo sound. It was a different sound. It was kind of a subgenre of pop punk,
2: really. Like you were saying, like that's when I kind of realized, like, oh, this is its own thing and I like this genre. Yeah. So I guess that's significant in some way. And it's huge for Fall Out Boy because I think this was maybe
1: the last album, arguably the last album where they were really solidly pop punk slash emo. I think in their next couple of albums, they start to really branch out into a more pop sound. So I think this is the last time we had that vintage Fall Out Boy sound
2: that I personally really liked. Yeah, I think Infinity on High is the last remaining remnants or or the dying of that pop-punk light for Fall Out Boy, which, you know, whatever. They did their thing, and obviously we just talked about it earlier. That stupid song has 600 million plays, so (laughs) I'm sure uh, they're not unhappy with the direction they went. But we talked about it with Blink. We talked about it earlier. That's this uh, snapshot in time of nothing can ever replace this album or take away this album in terms of like my listening life, it's like they are what they are these days. But I reaffirmed it again the past week or so that this is one of the all timers for me. So, and I will see them when Hella Megator gets rescheduled in 2025. That's right.
1: We'll see you there, Fallout Boy.
2: We might do an on-site, uh, on-location live show for that.
1: That would be huge. Could maybe get them as guests finally.
2: Yeah, we'll be, be at Xfinity. We'll be the guys that are just talking that nobody's paying attention to. That's right, yeah. When you go to those things and it's like, we're here live at Xfinity. We'll do some fun giveaways, though. Yeah, we'll do some giveaways. Uh, we still got some stickers. Got some
1: stickers. <laughs> <laughs> For next week, episode two, we're going to be exploring Paramore's Riot! How fun.
2: Hit us up on Gmail, gmail poppunkprojectgmail.com. We love reading emails from our fans. Yeah, we've been checking it a lot lately. On Instagram and Twitter, at poppunkproject.
1: Do we really have a Twitter still? (laughs) Have we ever tweeted anything?
2: I automatically link the Instagram post to Twitter.
1: So it shows up in Twitter?
2: Yeah. Cool. But you still have to click on the link.
1: Somebody check our Twitter and report back and tell us what's going on
2: in there, please. Poodie, uh is always liking our stuff on Twitter. So is he? Thanks, Pootie. Yeah. Oh. I think we have like four followers. It's like Pooty, my friend Gabrielle, my friend Mike, and then Paper Boys. Maybe we just delete that soon. We got to keep the handle. Make sure you check us out on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Patreon.com slash PopPunkProject. What's our OnlyFans, Mike? Yeah, OnlyFans.com slash xx pop punk xx project if you
1: want to see some some weird pop punk stuff that we sometimes do
2: no nudes okay these are just the photos that instagram wouldn't let us post
1: whoa
2: they're a little bit raunchier but you know we're still good boys
1: boys we are good boys we're the best boys thank you guys again for joining us we're excited to be back we're about to launch into a very fun season two and we hope you guys will join us for the entire journey once again we hope you've had the time of your lives good riddance